Welcome to part two of our uh, series called Who Needs Christmas? I am actually preaching this live, and Jim, you can pull that on down a little bit more. Thank you. All right. Uh, I am actually preaching this live. Uh, we actually have uh, four people here with us helping out. So if you could, like, see, I, I'm not, I, see, you can hear them in the, yeah, you can hear them in the background there. They are, <laughs> they are here. Thanks, guys, so much for uh, just hanging out with us as we continue through this pandemic. I know it's a rough time right now, but because of the increased cases we're having here at Exponential and in our community and at the recommendation of the state of Pennsylvania and now our denomination as well, they're just saying, hey, through the end of the year, if everybody could suspend their live worship experiences, uh, they'd appreciate that. So we're just going along with that and trying to get through this uh, pandemic. So hopefully you enjoyed the recorded time of worship that the band did this past Thursday. And the plan for right now is that they're going to continue to do it that way, and then I'll be live on Sunday mornings with you. However, I do want to invite you to come with us on December 24th, Christmas Eve at 7 p.m. We will have a live worship experience that we'll be doing online only, but it is going to be uh, live that night as well. So hopefully you'll uh, join us for that. Again, this is part two of this series called Who Needs Christmas? Last week we looked at everybody really, right? Everybody needs Christmas. But beyond that, let's talk about why is that important, because we said that everybody needs God, because God is the one who brings blessing, or God is the one who brings wholeness into our lives. But when you say that you need God, well, who is God? What does God want from me? What does God want for me? You know, what, what is his plan for my life? A lot of people have questions like that, and they go, you know what, Gilbert, it'd be so much easier if God were just here. If I could see God, then I would, I would know what I needed to do and how exactly he was feeling about me. And if you had that question or you've ever thought that before, it's not a new question. It's not a new thought. Jesus' disciples, they, they felt the exact same thing. In fact, look at this in, in John chapter 14, verse 8. We read, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough to satisfy us. So basically, Philip comes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, if you would just show us the Father, if you could just prove to us that God exists, then it'd be easy. We'll, we'll believe in him. Verse 9, Jesus replied, Philip, I've been with you for a long time. Don't you know who I am? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. How can you ask me to show you the Father. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I want to talk to you about something that's bothered me for a very long time. Not about Scripture, but about the comic strips. How many of you are Superman fans? Well, I only have a couple of people here that can actually raise their hand. But in the chat there, if you're a Superman fan, let's see it. Or maybe you're going to in the chat. Tell us who your favorite superhero is. But, you know, here's the thing that I have about Superman. The only thing he needed to do to disguise himself was to put on a regular pair of clothes and a pair of glasses, which is absolutely ridiculous. You would think that people would be going, you know, Clark, if you took your, or your, uh, your glasses off, you'd look an awful lot like Superman. And, and Clark Kent has to be going, how am I getting away with this? I mean, how do these people not know who I am? You know, essentially, Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's saying to Philip, Philip, let me take my glasses off here for you. Don't you recognize who I am? Isn't it obvious that if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father? If you have seen me, you have seen God himself? 
Now, you know, that would have been a huge surprise that Jesus would have said this to Philip because Philip's going, wait a second, we can't see God because Philip knew the Old Testament scriptures. Let me explain that to you real quick. Uh, A couple thousand years before uh, Jesus was even born, God had told Moses that you can't see me face to face and live. And so John, who is actually writing this account here of Jesus' encounter with Philip, And keep in mind, John was Jesus' best friend, and and John's writing this like after the fact. So this is after Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And so John's already been able to put all the theological pieces together. And so he's writing this biography of Jesus telling stories like this one with Andrew. But at the very beginning of his gospel, look at what John has to say. It's John chapter 1, verse 18. I'll start with the very first part of the verse. He says, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. Now, again, this is because Moses had been told by God that nobody can see me and live. And so Philip, he understands all this, that nobody can see God. Now, now why is it that nobody could see God? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a situation where you've been sound asleep? I mean, like in a deep, deep sleep. And all of a sudden, maybe it's a spouse or a kid. They come barging into your room and they suddenly wake you up and they flip the light switch on. And you like open your eyes and you're like, oh no, I mean, the, the light is just too bright, it's too intense for you. Like, I can't, oh. Well, that's what scripture tells us God is like. That God is so bright. The, the theological term is it's his glory. His glory is so bright, it's so magnificent, it's so radiant that you can't even look at it without almost like burning your face off. Think of it this way. If you looked into the sun, it'll hurt your eyes, won't it? And in fact, you can't even stare into the sun. But now imagine the sun times a million or a billion or even a trillion. That's how beautiful, that's how radiant, that's how bright the glory of God is. And so that's why John is writing here that no one has seen God. But then he continues on in the second part of verse 18, and he says this, except for the one and only Son, who is himself God and is near to the Father. He has revealed to us who God is. What John is saying is, look, if you have seen Jesus, then you've seen God. If you've read about Jesus, then you've seen God. And that brings us to our our big point here today, because of the fact that that we're able to to see God and not melt our our faces off, basically. Here it is, that Jesus reveals to me who God is, what he thinks about me, and what he wants me to be and do in life. Let me say that again. Here's our big thought. Jesus reveals to me who God is, what he thinks about me, and what he wants me to be and do in life. So what is God like? Well, Jesus is what God is like. How does God feel about me? Well, read how Jesus feels about you, and then you'll know. What does God want you to do with your life? Well, read what Jesus says you should be doing with your life. Again, Jesus reveals who God is to us and what he wants from us. Now, why is this so important? Well, keep in mind this series is called Who Needs Christmas? And beyond that answer of, well, that everybody needs Christmas, Who else needs Christmas is people who have forgotten who God is, that Jesus is God, that that Jesus is the revelation of God to us here on the earth. 
That's why he came in the form of a baby. This is the God who came to die for us. This is the God who came to give us a new life. This is the God who is not against us, but is for us. See, the mistake that people so often make is they think that God is just this, like, powerful, distant, all-knowing creature who has really no interest in the here and now and what's going on in my life, but nothing could be further from the truth. In other words, we think that God is really, really big and that he can't relate to us, that that we are the, the bug to his windshield, that we're the MySpace to his Facebook, that we're the mom and pop store to his Amazon, that he's just so big that he can't relate to us at all. And so what ends up happening is we look sort of down on ourselves in that way, and we see ourselves as a, an underdog as compared to God. And you know, we, we love underdog stories, don't we? We, we love to watch the, the movies about underdogs. You know, people, it's like Rocky or Star Wars or the Hunger Games or basically every kid's sports movie that's ever been made. It's been the story about underdogs rising and coming to power and, and getting the victory. And, and those things captivate us because we're able to relate to that. You know, nobody wants to watch a movie about a rich, powerful, handsome man who has to defeat the, ooh, evil poor people. And then at the end of the movie, he's even more rich and powerful and handsome. That just doesn't resonate with us. We love the story of the underdog. And again, we, we like to put ourselves in that role of the underdog. But here's the strange twist to it. The weird part is, even though we love stories like that, we still value appearance in our culture. We still value things like bigger and stronger and faster. We still value things like fame and beauty and wealth. And, you know, we, we do this everywhere. It's, it's in our home, it's in our schools, it's in our churches, it's in our workplace. Everywhere that we go. It's in politics, it's in culture. We buy into this idea that those are the types of things that we should be striving for. And, you know, this over-reliance on perception and appearance, it's not a, a new problem. In fact, about a thousand years before the time of Jesus... God had told the prophet Samuel, to, Samuel, go to the house of a man by the name of Jesse, and there you're going to find one of his sons, and I want you to anoint him to be the new king of Israel. Well, Samuel, he, he arrives at, at Jesse's house, and right away he sees the oldest son, Eliab, and he is tall, he's dark, he's handsome, he is like out of central casting. This is what a king should look like. But then God says this in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know who God chose instead? He chose the smallest. He chose the youngest, a, a little shepherd boy by the name of David. Yeah, the same David who would go on to defeat the, the giant Goliath. It's the ultimate underdog story. And that story sort of catapulted then David on to one day becoming the king. Here's my point. God doesn't often do things in the Goliath way. He does it in the David way. He, he does it in ways that we just simply don't expect. Again, what does all this have to do with Christmas? Well, God gave us the Christmas story to show us that his kingdom wasn't going to work in the way that people think the kingdoms ought to work. In other words, when it came time for God to reveal himself to the world, out of the billions of ways that he could have done it, he chose to come as a little baby 
wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying there in a manger. He came as a, a baby born to an obscure couple in a barn full of animals. And our minds say, you know what, that isn't right. God should have been born to a, a family of power in a, a palace to a prince. He shouldn't have been born in a, a cave amongst cattle, being the son of a carpenter. But yet again, God's ways and our ways are often so different. And so we can't think in the ways that the world thinks. We can't try to emulate what everybody else is doing. We've got to try to emulate Jesus because, again, if you have seen Jesus, if you've read about Jesus, then you're seeing what God's will is for your life. And really, when you look at, you know, how God came to us and the way he lived and the way that he died, it just reveals more and more about who he is, about his nature and and exactly what he thinks about us. You know, too often people think that, well, God's like this, this rigid, controlling being. Again, Jesus is the revelation of who God is. Was Jesus rigid and controlling? No. Jesus confronted people that were acting like that. A lot of people think of God as, you know, just wanting to shame me and condemn me. But is that how Jesus acted? No, Jesus was the one protecting the people when, when people were picking up stones and, and wanted to cast them at people. Jesus told them to put their stones away. A lot of times people think that God is cold and distant and he's uninterested and he's uninvolved. But Jesus came and he, he touched the sick. He healed those with diseases. Jesus is the one who wept and agonized and suffered with those who were hurting deeply. When Jesus was being spit upon and beaten and then crucified on the cross, he, he looked on the people that was doing it to him with compassion and forgiveness. Again, Jesus is the revelation of who God is and what he wants from us and what he thinks about us. And so if you want a picture of God, look no further than Jesus because it's there that you're going to discover that God is willing to get down into our life, into our world, amongst the, the, the dirt and the dust of life. He loves you. He's concerned about you. And he wants only what's best for you. So how do we get to see Jesus more? Well, here's what I'm going to suggest that you do between now, December 13th, and December 25th for Christmas. Twelve days. I want you to read the Gospel of John, and I want you to read one of John's other letters. It's called First John. It's a very, very short little letter. John ends up writing five of the New Testament books. And keep in mind, John was Jesus' BFF. Out of the 12 disciples, he was no closer with anybody than he was with John. And so John gets this picture, really, of who Jesus is. And so if there's anybody that can, can paint this picture of who Jesus is, thus who God is, it's John. And so I want you to take the time over these next 12 days, again, read the Gospel of John and read the very short letter, 1 John. Now I want to give you a couple tips as you do that. The first tip is this. John likes to use the word, word, 
capital W-O-R-D, many times in his gospel. And what you need to understand is every time you come across the word word, that he's actually referring to Jesus. Let me show you an example. In John chapter 1, verse 1, and then we'll skip down to verse 14. John writes this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Then verse 14. The word became human and made his home among us. Again, every single time you see the word word, it means Jesus. So let's actually do that verse again, but this time we'll substitute it with Jesus. So John 1 Verse 1 and 14, substituting it with Jesus, it says this. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus became human and made his home among us. I love how Eugene Peterson in the the message paraphrase, he says this. He says, the the word became flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. Right? That's what Jesus did. He, He sort of moved in to our neighborhood here. Now, there's two other words that John uses a lot, and I want you to be aware of it as you're reading through. One of the words is light. He often refers to Jesus as the light. He's the the light that comes in amongst the darkness, or that Jesus is the light of the world. What's that all about? Well, keep in mind what I shared with you earlier, that God, his glory is so brilliant, it's so magnificent, that, that Jesus gives us a glimpse just a glimpse that we were able to actually see without melting our faces off. And so as you read over these next 12 days the story of Jesus, what you're going to be reading is about the glory of God. The other word that I want you to be made aware of is the word love. John over and over and over and over again talks about the love of Jesus. And again, keep in mind, that nobody spent more time with Jesus than John did, at least in his three and a half years of public ministry. Nobody got to know Jesus more than what John did. And so look what he writes in, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I want you to notice that John writes that God is love. It's not that God has feelings of love. It's that God, his very essence, is love. That's who God is. God is love. And so remember, Jesus is revealing to us who God is. And so the number one thing that John took away from all the time that he spent with Jesus was the love of Jesus. The love he had for the Father, the love that he had for every single person that he came in contact with. And as you read it, you're going to discover his love for you as well. And so make it a priority this week and the next week to be reading John and 1 John. And it's going to be a reminder of just what Christmas is all about. Who needs Christmas? Well, it's people who are forgotten who God is people who have forgotten that Jesus is God in the flesh and that Jesus reveals the glory and the majesty of God and Jesus loves us and he loves us so much that he died for us. That's what we're going to talk about next week then as we wrap up the series is that God died for you and for me. But until then, let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, in the flesh, 
so that your glory may be revealed to us, so that we could get a, a brief glimpse of who you are and all that you are, and how much you love us, how much you care for us. And so we could get an idea of what it is that you would have us to do with our lives. And so, Lord, I, I pray that those who are watching here today, whether they're watching live or they're watching this on tape at a, a future time, that, Lord, they would take seriously my challenge that to take 12 days and just read through your Gospel of John and then in 1 John and just fall more and more and more in love with you as you're being revealed to us. Lord, I, I pray that as we're reading, we would just invite your Spirit to supernaturally reveal things that we have never seen before. And that, Lord, in the, the parts that maybe we don't understand, that we wouldn't get caught up in that, oh, I, I don't understand that. But we would just continue to read and read and read and read. And the parts that we do understand, we would get a better picture of who you are. And, and we would have a better understanding of, okay, I, I understand what this means. Here's what I'm supposed to do with my life. Or, or here's something I shouldn't be doing with my life because it's sin. And that we would just be obedient. That we would just listen to your spirit and be obedient each and every page that we turn, each and every verse that we're reading. Just give us the most awesome gift that we could possibly have this Christmas, and that is a better picture of Jesus. So Lord, I, I thank you right now for the stories we're going to hear in the upcoming weeks and months and even years of people looking back at Christmas of 2020 after just such a, a miserable year that we had that people say, yeah, but you know what? At the end of the year, oh man, I dug in to the Gospel of John and John's letter of 1 John and I got to see Jesus in ways I never did and that just changed my whole perspective on 2020 and it changed my whole perspective on my future. So again, Jesus, we thank you in advance that you're going to reveal yourself. You're going to jump off the pages at people over these next two weeks in ways that you never have before. And we are going to see you face to face. Again, thank you in advance for that. And we pray this all in your precious and holy name. The name of Jesus. Amen.